if you have your Bibles today, turn with me to Romans chapter number 5. Great big old shout out to Pastor Tommy who filled in for me so wonderfully last Wednesday night. We're going to continue what we kind of started last week. I think last week we began talking in Romans chapter number 5 about the love of God. And I don't know about you, but the love of God is one of those things that is just absolutely astounding. You know, I think it's so difficult for us in our finite minds to get our arms around to, to totally grasp the concept of the love of God. You know, because again, when we say the word love, we, 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 we Americans, we use love in so many different ways, okay? I mean, I love Miss Chantel. I love my kids. I love LSU, okay? I love whatever the cruise food was that I ate for the last week and a half. We use the same word, and obviously it's a different meaning each time, Okay? Obviously, my love for this lady and my love for cruise food are two different things, okay? And, um, but, but the love of God is, is a whole nother level. And, uh, and, and Paul begins to try to, to articulate that to us. And he began last week in Romans chapter number 5, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to continue that study tonight with verses 6 through 11. And it has one of my favorite scriptures in it, Romans 5 and 8. It's one of those scriptures that I've committed to memory. But God commended his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I think of that scripture, it just blows me away. That God didn't wait for us to clean up our act. God didn't wait for us to get our act together. Because how many know we couldn't get our act together? But God proved his love by sending his son Jesus. When we weren't worth dying for, but he determined we were worth dying for. Aren't you glad about that? So today we're going to continue the discussion on God's unbelievable love. It shows the great depth of justification. This passage also gives one of the clearest definitions of agape love. It actually shows the meaning of agape love. Agape love goes much further than phileo love. Phileo love is a brotherly love, a love that gives itself for a brother. Um, but agape love is a new kind of love. It's a godly love, a sacrificial love, a love that gives of itself without regard for the consequences. It's a, it, it's a decision that's been made by God himself that I love you. And there is nothing you can do to change that. You know, some people, some people think, uh, well, you know, my, my love is dependent on how I act. No, it's not like that. Okay? You're not that powerful. You cannot separate yourself from the love of God. You're not that powerful. Your choices, your poor choices, your act for outright rebellion cannot separate you from the love of God. And, and um I'm just so excited to, to share this uh, truth with you tonight. So let's read the text together, and then we'll pray. Romans chapter number 5, verse number 6, down through verse number 11. Paul writes, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Or if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. The love of God 
Would to God that he would help us to get a fresh revelation of how much he loves us. Because when you realize how much he loves us, it'll change the way you live. It'll change who you are. Because you know what? When God loves you, it doesn't really matter what else is going on in your life. When God has made up his mind that he loves you, it doesn't really matter what people may think of you. It doesn't matter what people may say about you. The God of this universe has declared, I love you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And I thank you that you first loved me. And Lord, you didn't wait for me to clean up my act, God. When I was lost as as lost could be, Lord, when I was in a drunken stupor, you still loved me. You still sent your son Jesus to die for me. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Lord, your love has changed my life. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to get a fresh revelation of your love tonight, Lord, so that it'll change our lives as well. It'll change the way we love you. It'll change the way we love others. Lord, I'm just asking you tonight to anoint this teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, verse number 6 and 7. It says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet for adventure a good man some would dare to die. See, we were all ungodly and without strength, yet Christ Jesus died for us. God's great love is seen in this single unbelievable act that happened at Calvary's cross. Number one, we were without strength. We were weak, worthless, useless, helpless, hopeless, destitute, powerless. We were spiritually worthless, useless, unable to help ourselves. And that describes every one of us here today. Whether you grew up in church or not, at one time, spiritually, you were dead. Spiritually, you were worthless. Spiritually, you needed a Savior. And God knew that. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus. Consider what the scriptures say. Uh, David, who understood a relationship with the Lord, writes in Psalm 31.10, For my life is spent with grief. My years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity. My bones are consumed. He realized that something was lacking in his life, that he needed the Lord. And then we read what Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2 and 12, that at that time you were without Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, guys, without God, we have no hope. Our only hope is in God. Today, I had a chance to, 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 to kind of sit back and observe a funeral. As a minister, many times I'm doing a funeral. I'm, 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 t- I'm officiating. I'm saying some things. I'm doing some things. But today at, at Brandon's funeral, I just had the privilege of sitting back there and, and just hearing the message. And, and, and they constantly talked about Brandon's mom's faith, her faith, her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, Because of that, she's not hurting anymore. Because of that, we have an assurance that she's in glory. And guys, that's just not for her. That's for all of us. You know what, guys? Before this service is over, I could get a text from one of Betty's family saying that she passed on. And guys, i got to tell you, that would not be a sad moment. Because you know what? Her body is struggling. How many know these bodies are not meant to last forever? Okay? They wear out. They're just not, they're not meant to last forever. But as I told Brandon, as we were standing next to his mom's casket, I said, your mom's not there anymore. And he started shaking his head. He said, I know. You know, her body was wearing out, but her soul and her spirit 
are more free today than they've ever been before. How can we say that? Because of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. Because of the love of God. Amen? And there were a moment in our lives that every one of us were without strength. Secondly, we were ungodly. We were ungodly. We were not like God. We were different from God. We were profane. We had a much different lifestyle than what God's Word declares. God is godly. He is perfect. Man is ungodly. We're not like God. We, he is perfect. We are imperfect. Paul described this situation in Romans chapter number 1. We studied it a while back. Verses 28 through 32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetedness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignant, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. All us parents are glad that God threw that in there. We, we, you ever brought that up to Eric and Chip? You ever said, stop acting like that, okay? Where was I? Disobedient to parents. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That is the state of the world, but that also describes you and I at one time. Nick, that describes us. That described where we were before Jesus found us. You know, I've heard many times people say, I found Jesus. No, he wasn't lost. <laughs> you were. <laughs> I didn't find Jesus. He found me. I realized, maybe I opened my eyes up to see how much he really loved me and how he wanted a relationship with me. And he had done everything that needed to be done to make a way for me to have a relationship with him. You know, when Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, it was. There was nothing left to undone. There was nothing more that needed to be fulfilled in the Old Testament law. He had accomplished his purpose, and all was in place for you to simply say yes to him and initiate a relationship with the Lord. Amen? And that's all because of the love of God. But in due time, the Bible says, Christ died for us. It was in God's appointed time, his destined time, the right time. Men had to be prepared for Christ before God could send him into the world. Men had to learn that they were without strength, they were ungodly, that they needed a Savior. This was the purpose of the Old Testament and the law, to show men that they were sinful, to show men that God's standards were up here and we came in way down here, and that there needed to be something or someone to bridge that gap. And that's something and that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? What the scriptures say in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them which were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Guys, we've been adopted. We've been grafted into the family of God, and you're in a good family. Amen? You're in a good family. And in that due time, Christ died for us. The word for means for our benefit, for our sake. 
in our stead as our substitute. He died for me, and he died for you. He died for you, and he died for you, John. He died for you, Amber, and Sister Jan, and Sister Jane, and man, what's going on with missionettes, okay? They're all good? Okay, they're okay. I get a little nervous when I see some missionette teachers in here, okay? But he died for all of us. That is so, so good to know. You know what? It's ball season. It's a little girl softball. Oh. But God died for us. Aren't you glad? 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 7, talks about Christ died as our sacrifice. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, And that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Man, that's good stuff. More scripture out of Hebrews chapter number 9. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He continues in verses 25 and 26. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. First Peter 2 and 24. Who for his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Not only did Christ die as our sacrifice, he also died as our ransom. Romans 3 and 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1 and 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Titus 2 and 14, who gave himself for us that we might redeem us from all iniquity and purify us himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And God is good. Christ died as our sacrifice. He died as our ransom. He also died as our propitiation. Romans 3 and 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. 1 John 2 and 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also all the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4 and 10, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Finally, God's love is an uncommon and an unbelievable love. Just think about the illustration that Paul just gave us. Some persons attempt to save people who are caught in some desperate tragedy. Others offer their lives to represent leaders in great purpose. A few will die for a just and an uprighteous man. Some will even dare to die for a good man. But this is not what Jesus did. Christ did not die for the righteous and the godly, nor for the good and the pure. He went well beyond what normal men would do. 
Christ died for the ungodly, for those who were the very opposite of righteous and good. He died for those without strength, the useless, the destitute, the worthless of this world. And that describes every one of us at one time. You know, it's real easy sometimes now that we're in church and we're serving God to say, man, that was a good deal, God dying for me. No, it wasn't. <laughs> you had so little to offer God, okay? He had everything to offer you. He gave his son for you. Christ died for whom no man would die. Man, let that sink in for just a minute. On your worst day, God had made a way. On your worst day. At your worst moment. And when you are as far from God as you've ever been, at that moment, the love of God says, come back home. The love of God says, I love you. I have a plan for your life. Man, that's the grace of Almighty God. Anyone got anything else? No? Hey, you're doing good. Good job. Well, I got more. Okay? Verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. I love verse 8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Hmm. You see, we were all sinners, yet God proved his love to us. The word commended means to show, to prove, to exhibit, to demonstrate. It is the present tense. God is always showing and proving his love to us. The word sinners refers to a man who is sinful, the man who's disobeying God, who's living selfishly, who's doing his own thing. But while we're doing that, God is still showing us how much he loves us. God is still showing us there's a better way. God is still telling us that I love you. I care for you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. And there's nothing you can do to get away from my love. God's love is constantly calling out to us. Amen? Many of you are in here today only because of the love of God. Let me take it a step further. We're all in here today only because of the love of God. Amen? We all need a fresh revelation of His love because when we get that fresh revelation, it'll change the way we love Him and it'll change the way we love others. You know, sometimes we're so, we're so subjective with our love. We love people that love us, right? It's natural to love your mama, okay? Everybody loves their mama, okay? Even when she tells you something you don't want to know, you still love her, okay? It's natural to love people that love us, but when you get a fresh revelation of God's love, his agape love, where he's decided that he loves you no matter what, no matter what you do, no matter what happens, no matter how far you try to run from his love, you just can't go that far. And we get a fresh revelation of his love, it'll change the way we love others. The point is simple. While we were yet sinners, God proved his love. This is the unbelievable love of God, that he stooped down to save sinners. We would expect him to save righteous or good men, but it catches us completely off guard when it's stated that he saves sinners. Such is the unbelievable love of God. Note how God proved his love. Number one, God proved his love by giving up his only son to die for us. Some earthly fathers would be willing to give up their sons for a good man or for a great cause. As I sitting at a, or standing at the, the, the cemetery today, it's, you know, as, you know, I guess I got a little ADHD and I start looking around and start noticing stuff. And 
I always kind of look at the headstones, and and um, and I remember I don't remember these names, but I remember seeing a father a father who apparently died in World War II. I can do the math from 41 to 45, and then there was a son who shared the same name that died in the mid the late 60s. First thing that jumps to mind is probably Vietnam, and I just began to think that. That, wow, a, a father gave his life for our country. And then a son followed his father's steps and gave his life for his country. And, and just being willing to serve, you're willing to pay the ultimate price. And, and so we can understand dying for a good cause. We can understand maybe even giving your life for good people. But that's not what God did. God gave his life for us and we were worthless. We didn't want nothing to do with God. You know, it's natural for a father to protect their sons. I'm a father. I have two boys. Nick, you understand this. It's natural for us as a father to, to protect our kids, to do what's in the best interest of our kids. But God didn't do that. He, he did what was in the best interest of us. It didn't matter what was in the best interest of his son. He did what was in the best interest of us, and he gave his son. Guys, that is amazing. As a father, I can't grasp my, my, my hands around that. I can't fathom the love of God. Man, God loved us that he gave his son. He didn't think about the consequences. Think of the enormous price God paid in proving his love. He gave up his son to die for unworthy, useless, ungodly sinners, the wicked and the depraved, the worst sinners and outcasts imaginable. Just think that God himself must have gone through the feelings, the suffering, the hurt, the pain. Just think about what's involved in God giving up his son. God had to send his son out of the spiritual and eternal world into the physical and corruptible world. God had to humiliate his son by stripping him of his eternal glory and insisting that he become clothed with corruptible flesh and die as a man. God had to watch his son through life being rejected, denied, cursed, abused, tortured, murdered. God had to sit back and watch his son suffer at the hands of men. He had to sit back when he knew he could reach out and change everything. He had to, he had to destine his son to die upon the cross for the sins of all men. He had to lay all the sins of the world upon his son. He had to judge his son as a sinner and condemn him to death. He had to turn his back upon Christ at his death. God had to cast his wrath upon his, uh, the wrath of that sin cost upon his son. God had to bear the pain of his son's sufferings. And he did all that to prove how much he loved him. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's pretty doggone amazing. A couple short weeks, we're going to celebrate this event. We call it Good Friday. <laughs> Start to think about it. There ain't much good that happened on that Friday. But eternally speaking, it was a good Friday, the best Friday we ever had, because it made a way for us to have relationship with God. And you know what, guys? As we celebrate that, let us not forget what, you know, it was the sins of man that put God, that put Jesus on the cross, but it was the love of God that kept him on the cross. 
It was the love of God that Jesus at Gethsemane was praying, Lord, if there's any other way, Father, if there any other way we can do this, let's do it. But not my will, but yours be done. And he gave his life. Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 53, 5, that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. John 10 and 11, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John 15 and 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 1 Peter 3 and 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Secondly, God proves his love by justification through the blood of Christ. Through the blood of Christ. Romans 5 and 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Colossians 1 and 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Hebrews 9 and 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? God proves his love by saving us from wrath. Consider John 3, 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hmm. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? And then finally, I close with verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11 say this. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. You see, we were enemies of God. Yet God has reconciled us and saved us. God reconciles and saves us by doing three things. Number one, God reconciles us by Christ's death. See, to reconcile, a reconciliation means to change, to change thoroughly, to exchange, to change from enmity or hatred to friendship. That's what the death of Jesus did. We were once enemies of God, but now we can be called friends of God. Not because of anything we did, but because of everything that God did. Three points about reconciliation. Number one, the thing that broke the relationship between God and man was sin. Men are said to be enemies of God. The word enemies refers back to the sinners and the ungodly. The enemies of God are the sinners, the ungodly of this world. This simply means that every man at one time or another was an enemy of God. But Jesus changed everything. Amen? When any of us sin, we work against God. We promote evil by the things that we do. When the sinner lives for himself, he becomes an enemy of God. When the sinner lives for the world and worldly things, he becomes an enemy of God. This is the point of God's great love or reconciliation. He did not reconcile and save us when we were righteous and good. He reconciled and saved us while we were still his enemies, ignoring and rejecting him. 
It is because we are sinners and enemies that we need to be reconciled. Secondly, the way men are reconciled to God is by the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Very simply stated, when a man believes that Jesus Christ died for him, God accepts the death of Jesus Christ for the death of the man. God accepts the sins borne by Jesus as the sins committed by you and I. God accepts the condemnation borne by Christ as the condemnation due to man. Therefore, the man is freed from the the law. He's freed from his sins and the punishment that is due. We deserve to be punished. We deserve the death penalty. But Jesus took it all for us. He paid it all for us, Nick. So now we can stand in front of God the Father, reconciled, justified, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, that's good news. And we wonder why we call it good news, huh? That's the good news. The good news is that we have been reconciled to God. And it's real important to note this. God is the one who reconciles, not man. Men do not reconcile themselves to God. We cannot do enough work or be good enough to become acceptable to God. Reconciliation is entirely the act of God. Let me say that again. Reconciliation is entirely the act of God. God is the one who reaches out to men and reconciles them to himself. Men receive this reconciliation. So that when people say, I found Jesus, no, he wasn't a lost one, you were. (laughs) You just finally opened up your eyes to the love of God. You finally responded as God wants you to respond. What do the scriptures say? 2 Corinthians 5 and 18. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I love that scripture. Because you know what? Now it's time for us to pay it forward. Those of us that have been reconciled to God, those of us that have had our lives changed, it's time for us to pay it forward. It's time for us to tell his story. It's time for us to tell our story. Amen? And your story is not about you. It's about him working through you. Amen? You know, we always struggle with how difficult it is to witness because we're like, well, I don't know as many scriptures as you, Pastor. Well, guess what? Just tell your story. Just say, oh, I used to be this way and now I'm a little different. Okay? Let your life tell a story. Amen? Because how many know our actions speak much louder than our words? Amen? In fact, I think it was St. Francis of Sissy once said, preach all you can and if you must, use words. Preach everywhere as you go. Preach everywhere as you go. Preach to everybody you come in contact with. And if you must, use words. Let your life speak to people. Let your love speak to people. Amen? Because we've been reconciled to God, let's pay it forward. You know, real, real soon, you're going to start hearing me say a lot more on Sundays about Easter Sunday coming up, how we got a goal of 200 people in church. And guys, I can't make that happen by myself, but you can. Those of you who have been reconciled to God, let's pay it forward. Invite somebody to church. Easter Sunday, even when I was a heathen dog, I thought about going to church. Okay? You never know. I've heard it said that, that, that some people are just waiting on an invitation. Let's make sure you take care of that, okay? We have some little invite cards. They're on that back table. You've seen them before. They're really cool. Just hand them out. You can even take all the pressure off yourself. Say, my pastor wants to invite you to church. Okay? Come on, guys, let's have a great time. Because, look, we've been reconciled to God. And we need to give that gift away. Almost done. God saves us by Christ's life. His life means the life of the living God. Christ stands before God as our great inner 
intercessor and mediator. Standing before God, he stands as the sinless and the righteous Son of God, as the ideal and perfect man. When we believe in Christ, when we put our faith in him, God takes that belief and counts it as righteousness. The ideal righteousness of Christ covers us, and God accepts and saves us because we trust God, we trust Jesus, rather, as the living Lord, as our intercessor, as our mediator. Romans 8 and 34, who is he that condemneth? Is it Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? What is Jesus doing right now? Says Annalie, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me. Making intercession for you, Cave. Interceding for you, Alicia. Interceding for each and every one of us to fulfill God's purpose in our life. Amen? You ever feel like you're all alone? Ever feel like you're, you're you're doing this all by yourself? You're not. But the interesting thing about feelings—you've heard me say this many times before—feelings are very, very real, but they're not always accurate. Amen. The enemy wants you to, to to lean on your feelings. The enemy wants you to focus on your feelings, but God says the just shall walk by faith. Amen. Put your faith in the God who reconciled you, in Jesus who's making intercession for you right now, that you can do it. Amen. And then do all that God puts in your heart. First Timothy 2 and 5, For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the perpetuation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And finally, I close with, God gives us joy through the atonement or reconciliation of Christ. A person who receives so much from God is bound to be filled with joy and should be rejoicing. Amen? The Bible says the joy of the Lord should be our strength. Amen? When we think about that we have been reconciled to God, there should be an instant joy. A joy that is not dependent on your circumstances. That is not dependent on your checking account balance. That's not dependent on anything that we depend our happiness on. See, there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is I'm happy when the saints win. I'm happy when LSU wins. Okay? I'm happy when, when my kids make good grades. But joy... Doesn't matter how the saints do. Doesn't matter how the tigers do. Doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It's all about me and God and the joy that He has given me in my heart and soul. Guys, we need to be more joy driven than happiness driven. Because happiness is fleeting. I'm happy when I catch a big redfish, Nick. We need to do that soon. I'm happy when things are going well. I'm happy when I heard Burrick run, run rule Karen Crow. I'm happy about that. But joy, joy. Is, is our strength. It's something that's ever-present with us. And God gives us that joy. John 15 and 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. John 16 and 24. Hereunto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. Romans 14 and 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Ghost. Mm, how good. I close with Isaiah 61 and 10. The prophet writes, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. 
For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself for orna- with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. And look, guys, the joy of the Lord is our strength. God's love, how absolutely amazing it really is. Amen? Turn, you got anything to add before I pray? Really? Nothing to add. It's pretty amazing. It's really amazing. That's really cool. She must also see that at 730, so it's time for me to pray. Hey, guys, I just want to remind you, the love of God is so amazing. I think today we just scratched the surface on what all the love of God is about. But look, God loves you. Don't you ever doubt that. Don't you let circumstances, don't you let what somebody else's opinion is of you, don't you let what you're going through today determine, uh, because it has nothing to do with the love of God. God has said, I love you. And he proved it 2,000 years ago when he sent Jesus Christ. Amen? And I say this all the time, but if God didn't do one more good thing for me, he's already done enough for this old boy, because he made a way for this sinner to make heaven. He made a way for me to have eternity in, in, in heaven, an eternity in peace and, and tranquility, and I didn't deserve none of that. And none of us did, but the love of God made a difference in my life as it's making a difference in you.